This is KDXI St. George, Radio St. George at 100.3 FM. And we now present to you On the Arts, an hour of discussion and discovery about the arts in St. George and Southern Utah. And now your hosts for On the Arts, Michael and Christina Harding. Good afternoon, St. George. This is Michael Harding. And unfortunately, again, Christina will not be joining us, my beautiful, beautiful wife and co-host. But uh, she sends her fondest regards to everyone out there, and she will return at some point. We'll get her back in the studio here. Uh, Until then, though, you're stuck with me. And uh, I just want to remind people that the purpose of this show is to blow the lid off of all of those little artistic secrets that are around Southern Utah. There are all sorts of opportunities to not only be an audience member for a lot of shows, a lot of concerts, and a lot of art gallery exhibitions and such, but there are also a lot of opportunities to participate. Keep your ear to the ground for auditions, for singing groups, madrigal singing groups, operatic singing groups, um, and even there's a, a special kind of musical group that we're going to be talking to uh, today or talking about today. But also opportunities to audition for theater, lots of theater happening around St. George, uh, as well as opportunities to take classes in ceramics or take classes in painting. And I personally, I'm going to see if I can get a glass blowing class to come down here. I have to tell you, when I was up in Seattle, which is, of course, uh, one of the home bases of a very famous name, Chihuly, uh, who is one of the glass sculptors of the world, one of the premier glass sculptors. One of the things I loved about it is you could walk downtown Seattle, and there was one of his studios, and it was open. You could just walk right in, see that they were making this glass-blowing art, and occasionally they would let you participate. You couldn't get too close, of course, because there is some danger involved, but... I think what a great thing to bring here to Southern Utah. So just so you know, that is a crusade that I'm on right now to make sure we have the opportunity to uh, experience that. And if you want to see some results of the Chihuly product, just go down to Las Vegas and you can see his work in the Bellagio. Uh, A lot of the ceiling work where you see a lot of sculpted glass, that is Chihuly. So check it out. And if you're interested in that, uh, join me in this crusade and just start spreading the word that we'd like a little glass sculpture going on down here. Now, whether or not you're into glass sculpture or ceramic sculpture or even found item sculpture, you may want to drive around town, downtown. You're going to see a lot of artistic pieces. Uh, One of the most controversial, I should say, or controversial for myself, was one that was there for, I think, almost a year. And that was that huge spider, that huge arachnid that was down there uh, on Main Street. And I have to say, I'm. it's a beautiful piece of art. I have to give a lot of credit and a lot of kudos to the artist to put that together. And if you get close enough, which I tried not to do, um, you would see that it was made out of license plates and things like that, a lot of found objects. And it freaked me out. I'm going to be real honest. And uh, I actually was driving with my wife this morning. We took our dog. This is more information than anybody wants to know. But we we took our dog to get her nails clipped. And we were driving uh, out past all of the auto dealerships. And there is that spider. That spider has not gone away. I believe it's Morgan Pest Control that has it on their front lawn now. Uh, I just want to say that that was... uh, a site that I respected and that I support the arts, but a site that did not make me the happiest camper on the planet. Uh, we actually have on the, had on the show as a guest Mayor Pike, and I believe that's come up. We've had Mayor Pike on here twice, and that's just been a little something I've brought up to be handled and dealt with. But moving on, there are a lot of opportunities for people to participate in art or check it out. Drive around downtown. You're going to see some great stuff. And I also want to let you know that now that we're heading into the intense holiday season, beginning with Thanksgiving this week, and of course, moving into the holidays uh, towards the end of the year, all of the holidays that are celebrated all over, there are a lot of celebrations, a lot of concerts, a lot of uh, events where you're going to see a lot of entertainment. For example, the Dickens Festival that's coming up. If you ever wanted to step back in time into the world of Charles Dickens and also modern contemporary vendors at the same time, that's a wonderful place to go and you're going to see a lot of the performing groups, a lot of the children's performing groups, also the adult performing groups. So I'd highly recommend you check it out, see who's performing. Now, I always like to start out the show with a little bit of a monologue about something that is relevant to the topic that we're going to be 
talking about. And up to this point, we've had a lot of artists on who are what I would call the refined artists. We've had opera singers. We've had painters, classical painters. We've had ceramicists who are very, uh, shall we say, commercially viable as well as artistically viable. We've had actors. We've had theater producers. We've had representatives of theatrical communities. We've had even some performers from the community. We've had a lot of children performers uh, from the community who have come on and talked to us about their perspective and what they've gone through and such. Today we're going to go a little grittier, I have to say. Now, the monologue I'd like to start with is an experience from my past. Those of you who have been listening know that I have lots of experiences from my past. And being an actor, I have no compunction uh, against sharing any of these experiences. Well, when I was in high school, I was very good friends with a kid named Brad Puckett. And Brad was an interesting guy. He was a whiz at mathematics. On his SATs, I can't even count as high as his score was on the SATs. He was an amazingly intelligent guy, very math and science. But what I loved about him is he had a secret. And that was, uh, at his home, in his garage, he would have a garage band. And he would invite some friends over, and you know everybody had a garage band at the time. Even look at popular culture. You go to the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and I believe his older brother, Roderick, has a garage band. Uh, and I think they called it Loaded Diaper or something like that. Uh, please know that is a joke, and it's literary, so I can say that over the air. And by the way, we have had writers on here as well, uh, all sorts of folks. But uh, the thing I loved about Brad was that at school he was very conservative. He was very, uh, shall we say, focused on his academics and his studies. But when I went to his garage to hear, I don't know if concert is quite the right word, shall we say a practice wherein there were people watching, I was amazed at how he became this other character. And he became a stereotypical rocker of the day. Now, please know, I grew up in the 1980s. So that was the era of the hair band. Things like Whitesnake and Rat and ACDC and even you know some older groups and such. The Ramones had already been out for quite a while. But these grungy, uh, what could be garage bands, and of course later on Nirvana and such. But they were started in the garage, which is of course how they got their names. And it was so exciting to see music played. And they did a lot of original stuff. They didn't just uh, cover other bands. And it was exciting to sit there and hear this sound that, looking back, it might have been gosh awful. I don't remember. But I remember being impressed by it. And it was so exciting to think, you know, I could be watching the next great band. Jay Leno. Well, I guess it wasn't even Jay Leno at the time. It was Johnny Carson at that point. Uh, He might very well invite this band, this up-and-coming band. And it was just exciting to see my friends that may be recognized in the popular culture world for their art. Now, I don't mean to demean this by any means, but I talk about we've had a lot of the cultured art and such on What I liked about the garage bands is these were people who, they weren't necessarily full-time musicians. They had other interests and other things that they were doing in their lives that you could say were more practical, perhaps, or more socially acceptable listening to some of the music that I heard. But it was great that they were performing and creating their own art, which is part of what this show is about, to let people know that you can get out there. You can make music. If you want to be a musician, go out there and make music. If you want to be a writer, write something down. If you want to be a painter, put some paint on canvas. Or if you want to be a rocker, go out there, get some of your friends, go into the garage and see what happens. Now that leads me to our guest in the studio, someone who's been a longtime friend of mine here uh, as a fellow teacher, as a colleague, who I actually only fairly recently, I should say over the last year, discovered was a closet rocker when it comes down to it. He is a member, the drummer, I believe, of the, I'm going to call it a garage band, but I think they've they've actually graduated beyond that level. Uh, and they are with a band called Black Sabbatical. So, Jerry Harris, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, I have to say, if you want to check out what we look like, we are two middle-aged guys <laughs> sitting here in a radio studio. If you want to check out what we look like. I don't know why you would. My wife is not here. She's the reason you watch this on camera. 
But uh, if you do want to check us out, go to Facebook on Radio St. George, and we are broadcasting live right now. The show is being archived, and you'll see the video of, of us here in the studio, and that will be archived so you can access that at any time. Or you can go to YouTube, and you can type in On the Arts with Michael and Christina Harding, and you'll see all sorts of episodes over the last three and a half seasons. I'm happy to say we are on season four. And if you want to check out two middle-aged white guys talking about being rockers or being, going back to the land of the hair bands, back, and both of us, I think, are suffering from the lack of being in, shall we say, the hair club for men at mm-hmm. this point. Uh, and, and Jerry's saying, oh my gosh, I, I, I can't believe I agreed to be on this show. Uh, I was in here going, is it that visible? <laughs> Not at all. But Jerry, welcome to the studio. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know that a black sabbatical has graduated from being a garage band. I think, if anything, we've done the opposite because now we practice in a basement. So, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if that's a promotion or, or what. Now, I, I do have to ask, as so many of my friends that were garage band members back in the 80s, they were banished to the basement. Uh, they were told they could not practice where neighbors could see them or, I guess, more importantly, hear them. Is that what happened here or did you just move? Well, it's it's a matter mostly of convenience. Um, our our singer had an available basement space for us to practice in, so that's where we ended up. <laughs> um, none of the rest of us had you know space, or or uh, some of us lived far enough away that getting practice at our individual residences would would have been problematic. Um, uh, yeah, it's a matter of convenience, and it's a, but it's fun. It's a nice little space, uh, and there it gets very very hot when you have you know five rockers emitting body heat in a small space with no ventilation. Um, <laughs> You're not painting a very pretty picture. <laughs> it's the authentic rock experience, right. I believe. I think we call that grunge. Yes. <laughs> I, I believe that's a good description for the odor, yes. Right. <laughs> and uh, our audience is now turning the dial. <laughs> so uh, let me ask, first of all, uh, introduce us, if you will, to your day job. What is it that you are known for, Dr. Jerry Harris? <laughs> uh, I'm a teacher of geology here at uh, Dixie State University, and I am the scientific advisor uh, over at the St. George Dinosaur Discovery Site um, because my training is all in vertebrate paleontology. So I've been studying dinosaurs uh, for a career basically since the mid-90s or so. Um, uh, so uh, I like to play with dead animals, I think is the bottom line there. Um, uh, thankfully not the stinky ones, but, uh, you know, dead animals nonetheless. And, and a lot of their footprints, you know, over at the Dinosaur Tracks Museum, we have mostly their footprints there, um, uh, which tell us a lot of information about dinosaur behavior. So they're a lot of fun to study. Um, uh, but yeah, I've been teaching here for a little over 15 years now. Gotcha. Yeah. And you said you were studying uh, dinosaurs yeah. and geology, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, since the mid-90s? Uh, yeah, as, a, as an actual student and as a, as a job. Um, my undergraduate uh, degree was in geology as well. Um, I wasn't actually doing formal studies of paleontology at that point in time, but I was volunteering at the Denver Museum of Natural History and starting to learn the trade that way. And is that where you went to school, in Colorado? Yeah, the University of Colorado at Boulder, where I got my undergraduate degree. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, clearly, uh, and this is something that I've known, being your friend for a while and being a colleague and such, clearly you're extremely knowledgeable about your field, about paleontology and geology and such, um, which is why I was surprised when I found out, oh, this guy's a drummer in a rock band. How did that start? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really convoluted story. I mean, I started drumming in um, high school. Uh, and I, I just had a, a, a trashy little kit that I, that I played with in, in my basement uh, at home, uh, much to the chagrin of my family, um, <laughs> because I did not know the finesse of playing softly at that time. Um, uh, and I was supposedly playing you know, a lot of prog rock and that kind of thing, so um, you know, through earphones, so the, all they could hear was pounding and smashing, so they didn't right. get to hear anything. Um, uh, and it was all self-taught. I never actually took any lessons, although I, I watched the drummers who were in my high school band and, and learned a lot from observing them and having them show me a few things. Um, uh, uh, and then I, when I went off to college, uh, you know, living in the dorms, living in a small apartment, I had no room for the drum set. It basically sat at home. Uh, and uh, eventually, when I went off to grad school, 
I still had no room for it, so I eventually sold it. And I just uh, I listened to a lot of drumming, but wasn't into playing drums for a while. Uh, and it really wasn't until I got here to St. George when I, you know, I got a house and I was like, I have some space now. I think maybe I want to pick this up again. Right. Um, and so, you know, bought a little kit. Um, uh, it's actually a fairly big kit, but uh, 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 and started to teach myself how to play all over again. Um, and I've been doing that for a, a long period of time four or five, six years. And then uh, I knew about Black Sabbatical was a band that some of the faculty here at the university had formed, uh, which is why we're Black Sabbatical, because it was all faculty-oriented uh, and staff-oriented people here at the university. Is that a play at all on Black Sabbath? It, it's that... a total play on Black Sabbath. And and a lot of people end up thinking that we're a Black Sabbath cover band, which we, we play one of their songs. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I, I heard about it. I see, I've seen them perform a number of times. A lot of the, a lot of the people in it were, were my colleagues and friends. Um, so I'd seen them play a number of times. And then the drummer that they had, who was also in several other bands in the area, um, uh, decided that he was just uh, too overwhelmed with too many things to do. So he, the Black Sabbatical was one of the things that he he dropped out of. So the guitarist approached me knowing that I played drums uh, and asked if I wanted to be the drummer in the band. And I was like, hmm. You know, it's always one of those little back-of-the-mind pipe dreams that, you know, you want to play in a rock band and see what that's actually like. So uh, I said yes and and uh, slowly learned their playlist. And now we're, we're a pretty good unit. Got it. And how long have you been together as Black Sabbatical, uh, your uh, your Black Sabbatical? Yeah, my iteration yeah. of it. Um, it's been, gosh, a couple and a half, three years maybe at this point. Got uh, it. Two, three years, somewhere in that range. Um, uh, and we're, we're expanding our playlist all the time, uh, expanding our skills all the time. We don't practice nearly as much as I would love to be able to practice, um, but that's because we all have very busy schedules and trying to find trying to find time when we can all get together and practice is is a bit problematic. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's just it, it's a it's a labor of love for everybody involved. Um, nobody's in it for making money or trying to hit the big time or anything like that. It's strictly for us to have fun. So Seth Meyers hasn't called or Jimmy Fallon uh, to get you on the show. I, I'm not even aware that they're aware that St. George is a city. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, I have to tell you, as far as finding time for that, if I were a member of a band, and I am not, by the way, probably, which is good news for anybody who respects the art of a band, uh, I will tell you the best time for me to be called into a practice is when I've got a lot to do, like a lot of papers to grade or a lot of things. <laughs> That's when, boy, everything just seems to happen and I've got to prioritize and I must rest my mind with rehearsal or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I admit I have done that on occasion. I'm like, I'll put that off until, oh my gosh, I have to go to practice now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me ask you, was it difficult to step into the role of another drummer? Because I imagine a band, a small group of people who get together, they have their own rhythms. They have their own understanding of each other's personality and such. Was it difficult at all? Um, it, it, uh, given that I knew some of the people in the band already, it was, it was a little easier to sort of slip into that, that friendship role. Uh, but to learn their dynamics, yes, that was, uh, and learn their, their particular band sense of humor and learn aspects of their history, uh, that I hadn't been privy to before. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, but they don't dwell on it much. They don't, they don't bring up the history aspect of it very much. So, uh, it's, it was very much just sort of jump in and, Hey, this is where we are. Let's move forward from here. Well, I say I'm looking forward to the expose documentary on the history of Black Sabbatical. <laughs> no, it goes to 11. <laughs> you, you mentioned uh, your playlist. Now, you mentioned as well that Black Sabbatical is a bit of a, a play on Black Sabbath and you do one of their songs. How would you describe your playlist? What is your style? Um, it's, it's rock, uh, uh, but it's a very eclectic, uh, uh, mix. I mean, we do some grunge songs we do, um, uh, we're sort of t tinkering with a few prog songs. Um, uh, you know, we do, we do everything. I think we've done, we have, well, we have an Elvis song that we do. We're, we're going to do a, a sort of a metalish cover of a Taylor Swift song. Um, uh, we, we do, uh, it's mostly eighties, nineties, early two thousands era stuff that we've been doing. Um, but we're really open to anything that just sounds fun. Right uh, to us to play, and that and then an audience can get up and dance to. Really, what? How big of a playlist do you have? Um, right now, we're at about uh, close to forty songs. Is sort of our regular rotation. Um, uh, and so whenever we have a gig, we just sort of rearrange that and toss in a couple of new things that we've been working on, and drop maybe a couple of old things. Um, 
it's uh, uh, but it's an ever evolving playlist. You know, I'm uh, all of us recommend songs. We're all like, hey, I heard this song. That would be a really fun one for us to play, or that one would be really fun to watch everybody else in the band play. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, there are a lot of theatrics actually that happen in these concerts, aren't there? And there really are. And uh, I, I would admit that, that I've been guilty that when I play, I tend to concentrate very hard on what I'm playing. So people come up to me afterward and go, "You need to smile more while you're playing." And I'm like. It's not that I'm unhappy. It's just that I'm thinking while I'm, you know, okay, what comes next? What can I do? Can I do this little flare kind of thing? And I just happen not to be, you know, you know, smiling or thrashing my head or anything violently while I while I do that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I think but, I'd pay money to see that, actually. <laughs> yeah, the, all this hair here, you know, really flies right. when I, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, do you have any particular drummers that are your inspiration? Or do you just, you find your own style? You do it for fun. Um, I, 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 if, uh, for me to list all the drummers that are inspirations to me now uh, would be really time-consuming. Um, I will say when I, when I first got started, my idol was Neil Peart of, of Rush, uh-huh. um, uh, who's just an amazing drummer, and he's still very much an idol of mine. Uh, I, I, I tended to concentrate very exclusively on him early on just because I was so into that particular band. Um, and I, I was certainly aware of other drummers, but I was like, they're not Neil Peart. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, okay. o- over time, I've I've really gotten a, a much better education on different kinds of drummers. Reading drum magazines, watching drum bl- and listening to drum blogs and podcasts and things like that, and they've really opened me up to a huge variety of other drummers. Um, who I who whose you know music isn't necessarily something I would listen to, but I listen to just so I can hear the drumming part of it. Um, and I, I listen to a lot of jazz drumming, a lot of fusion uh, drummers who I think some of the, they're some of the best drummers on the planet right now, uh-huh. uh, much better than even some of the rock drummers, or at least more more uh, intricate in what they play. Uh, so, you know, Dave Weckl and Steve Gadd and Vinnie Cayuta and you know guys like that uh, who are just uh, amazing. Um, uh, and out of the blue, I mean, you know, out of Japan, there are some, some amazing drummers coming out. There's a, a girl I watch on, on, on Instagram, uh, who's a young girl from Indonesia and she's an amazing player. Uh, and I just love watching anybody who has the skills and I can start picking up and, and noodling around with what they're doing and trying to see if I can make myself do it. And do, do you do the what's called the Suzuki method in music where uh, literally you watch them and you listen to them and then you try to do it? That's uh, a lot of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 I would not say I'm always successful at it. And there's a lot of things that I, uh, I still sort of have in the back of my mind or I have bookmarked on Instagram or something that I'm like, I'm going to learn that someday. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I surprise myself every now and again when I just uh, I'll try and do something and something that worked. Although how how did that work? I didn't practice that that much, and then I'll try and do it again and fail miserably, and then finally I'll pick it up and <laughs> uh, and eventually that'll become part of my repertoire. So yeah, I, I'm amazed at what a full body experience drumming is. It really is. It's a it's a it's a good full body workout if you do it um, uh, vigorously. I guess I should say if you're not if you're not going to be like. You know, if you're just going to sit around and do that, you're not going to do anything. But if uh, a lot of the rock songs we play are rather intricate, and and mm-hmm. some of them I've made a little more intricate than they probably should be, uh, uh, and so yeah, it's a it's a very full bodied workout. Um, I even I, I remember reading somewhere once that a a good hour of of solid drumming burns like 250 calories or something like that. So um, uh, sometimes that's 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 my day's workout is just right. doing that. I've heard some people uh, describe it as being somewhat akin to driving a stick shift, but 10 times harder. (laughs) You've got not only the the gear you've got to work, but the gear on the left. And you've got the foot pedals uh, in addition to the gas pedal and the brake and the clutch and everything like that. Yes, limb independence is something that is is really important in drumming. You know, that you can get your right hand and your left hand doing different things. Your right foot, your left foot are doing different things. Um, and I'm still working on on limb independence. It's it's something that that comes over time. The more I work on it, but there are times when I'm like, why is my left foot doing that? That's not what I want it to be doing. But that's all it seems to want to do at this moment. Uh, <laughs> so it's 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 uh, it's interesting. And then um, trying to you know watch at the same time, and uh, or sometimes not watch what I'm doing and just remember, okay, I know the symbols there, so I reach out and hit it. I'll hit it. Or I'll miss it. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so you know, it's it's it, it, it really is a full body thing. You have to think, you have to see, you have to do different things with all your limbs, um, and you have to feel uh, the beat and the rhythm, and, and uh, especially with the bass player. And, and you know, together as the rhythm section, you really have to drive the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you definitely have to pay a lot of attention to what all the other ba- band members are doing. Um, uh, and if if they start doing something a little different, then uh, catch up. 
Right. Well, I want to let you know that it is a pleasure having you here in the studio talking about a different kind of art than we have before. Not different in that it's art, but a different kind. We do hope that you'll come back and join us after these messages where we continue to talk to Jerry Harris, the drummer for the band Black Sabbatical. And it has not been lost on me the irony of a geology professor in a rock band. (laughs) This week on American Parlor Songbook. Join us for an episode recorded at the KBCR Studios in San Bernardino, California. We'll examine the fourth estate with an episode about the press. Comedian John Pate returns to tell us the origin of a colloquial phrase. And Southern California singer-songwriter Joey Crisman performs his folky blues. American Parlor Songbook, Sunday evenings at 9 on Radio St. George 100.3. Hi, I'm Mark Parrish, owner of your local McDonald's. McDonald's offers $2,500 a year in tuition assistance for Dixie State University students. By working at McDonald's, you'll be paid and can be qualified for an additional $2,500 in tuition assistance. Apply at your local McDonald's. I'm Mark Parrish from your local McDonald's, and we're helping you go to college. Did you know now is the time to look for summer 2020 internships as well as great jobs? Encourage your students to check out Handshake. Dixie.joinhandshake.com. That's Dixie.joinhandshake.com. In a special partnership with Utah Public Radio, Access Utah with Tom Williams is aired weekday mornings at 9. This hour-long show covers everything from pets to politics in a range of formats from in-depth interviews to call-in shows. Access Utah, weekday mornings at 9 on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. This is Hannah with your Radio Dixie calendar for Tuesday, November 19th. From 12 to 1.30 p.m., International Student Services Languages of the World is in the Gardner Living Room. From 4 to 5 p.m., Interview Like a Pro is in the Holland Building, room 537. And from 7.30 to 9 p.m., there is a brass concert in Eccles 129. And that's your calendar on Radio Dixie 91.3. Friday Night Jazz with Dr. Glenn Webb. Friday evenings from 7 to 9 on Radio St. George 100.3 FM. Welcome back to Radio St. George 100.3 with On the Arts. And now your hosts, Michael and Christina Harding. Welcome back, St. George and Southern Utah. Again, this is On the Arts, that show that is dedicated to blowing the lid off of all of these little artistic secrets that we have here in Southern Utah, not just here in St. George, but also in Cedar City and everywhere in between. I don't know of a lot of communities in between St. George and Cedar City, but uh, there's got to be some, some people listening to this out there. Now, uh, we do have in the studio Jerry Harris who is the drummer of a local band called Black Sabbatical. And we've talked about a few things, uh, particularly what it is to dive into a band without necessarily formal training uh, as far as being a drummer or musician training. But I do want to let you know that Jerry Harris is a very diversified renaissance man, is uh, how I'm referring to him right now. Not only is he incredibly knowledgeable with paleontology and geology, and I'll just do it one more time. I just have to. And he's in a <laughs> rock band. Uh, that's Everybody's turning the dial right now. Um, please come back. Uh, but he's also an expert in origami. Uh, how did this start? My my dad somehow knew origami. He had picked it up way back when when he you know long before I was born. Um, uh, when in a time when it was barely known in in the U.S., I don't know how he found out about it or picked it up, but he got into it. Um, he had several books that I remember when my sister and I were very young. We would occasionally drag out these books and go over to him and say, "Dad, make this. Dad, make this." And so I would watch him make these things, which uh, uh, by modern origami standards were very simplistic things, but but a lot of fun for for me to watch and and to, and to play with afterward. Um, uh, come high school, I didn't really have many hobbies. So I pulled out some of the books and <laughs> taught myself how to do it. And I've been doing it ever since, much to the chagrin of some of my high school teachers who I was doing it in class. Um, uh, <laughs> you got to fill the time somehow. That's... Well, I, I actually I used to do it in, in one of my English classes um, where the teacher was, let's say, not the most engaging of teachers. <laughs> um, but the room we were in was this cement block vault. 
Uh, so every little crinkle of paper would just echo throughout the entire room, and he would get very irritated with me. And one time he actually handed back one of my assignments that he had very clearly wadded up into a tight wad and then smoothed it all out and wrote across the front of it, do not fold paper in class. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I started picking it up and learned some of the really complex models that were starting to be uh, introduced around that period of time, and I've just been doing it ever since. Uh, it's a very peaceful, zen kind of thing. I can just um, sit down in front of the TV or, or something else and, and just pull out a lap board and a piece of paper and start folding something. And uh, it's just very peaceful. It's something I can do that gives my hands some activity and gives my brain a little bit of activity, but I don't have to concentrate on it fully all the time. Uh, and it produces these wonderful little animal plant uh, object models that, that uh, a lot of people get enjoyment of. I love giving them away. Well, I actually have walked into my office area several times, and there'll be a horse or a swan or a pterodactyl or something like that <laughs> uh, made out of paper sitting on the receptionist's desk. And, uh, you know, always it's, hey, look what my friend Jerry Harris brought over for me. <laughs> so that's uh, another talent of yours. But, but I want the folks who are listening to know the energy that you just gave me in talking about origami was the energy you gave me when I said, hey, I hear you're in a band and all of a sudden, this geology teacher opened up uh, just about all of the activities that he, he had in his life. Now, we talked about your playlist uh, on the last set of the show. And here I am using the music terms in our last set, <laughs> uh, in our last segment, I should say. But uh, we talked about the playlist, and I asked you, how did you decide with uh, these songs? You know, it's something we wanted to try or something like that. You said something intriguing to me. A metal version of a Taylor Swift song. Uh, are you able to share this information with us as far as the details, or is this proprietary? No, it's it's uh, not something that we're creating. It's something that another band has already done, and we're just going to cover that version of it. Um, uh, I, I've tinkered with the idea of of trying to do that on my own with you know with no musical training uh but i've tr thought about trying to do that at least from a, a, a drumming perspective and um uh, uh the band as a whole we have occasionally thought about doing some original songs uh, uh we've tinkered a lot with lyrics here and there um usually we get very ridiculous about the lyrics and we're like <laughs> okay let's just put that aside for now you, you um, do the ario speed wagon school of lyrics i'm sorry I, they can rhyme anything with or they pretty much yes. can yes I'm sorry, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's you. okay. Um, I, I, I would love to do that. Um, I don't think, I'm not aware that anybody in the band has any real formal musical training. I'm certainly no music degrees or anything like that. I think some of them may have had like guitar lessons or or whatever, but um, uh, no no training in music writing um, uh, and, and formulating music. Uh, but it's something that I think we all sort of would love to try someday. Um, we just haven't gotten to that point yet. We're just having too much fun picking from all the different songs that are out there and going that one. Be, that, you know, that one would be a real audience pleaser, or that one just is really fun to play. Um, they've picked a few songs uh, that that th there are some songs in the set that I'm not a particularly big fan of, but at least they're fun and challenging to try and play. Um, there are some that are very very fast on the drums that that are really sweat inducing. <laughs> um, uh, I, they're fun to try, but I, um, they're just really they really tire me out. I'm like, can we put that at the end of the set? <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have uh, sheet music that you go off of, or do you do everything by ear as so, a band? It's all by ear. Um, I think we all, uh, you know, when, when we share songs, when one of us finds a song, they were like, hey, let's try this one. We just send like the file around um, or send a YouTube link around to it and everybody listens to it and says, OK, let's play that one. And we all just listen to the YouTube or whatever version of it um, and learn how to play our respective instrument parts from that. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to expect this if I ever go uh, see a performance of you guys. And I, I, I do hope so. I mean, I'm friends with with you guys and I would like to hear Black Sabbatical. But I think it was Van Halen that uh, their drummer, they put in a cage and they would bring it out over the audience. And the, the whole excitement of the drum solo was he was slowly flipping over during the entire thing. Do you know what I'm talking yes, about? Yes, I've seen footage of many drummers doing something like that. You know, Some of them, they come up vertical and then they start spinning this way kind of thing. And um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I get very motion sick. I don't know that I would do very well with something like that. Um, playing on Dramamine, that's a new thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> That'd be a slow kind of Pink Floyd thing happening, I think. Yeah. Um, White uh, Rabbit. I, I don't even know what would be re required to like strap the drum set down so it doesn't move or anything like that. But um, uh, I think it'd be much more interesting to watch like the singer do that. <laughs> the guitarist absolutely. do that. Well, or, we talked about the theatrics that go into these concerts. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, 
So we're not going to see you flipping over in the air and such. <laughs> a conversation we had earlier that I found really, really interesting was about when a drummer makes it look like they've made a mistake or something by flinging a stick in the air. Um, uh, quite often you'll see drummers who are very dexterous with the sticks. They can twirl them around. They twirl them around their head, their neck, their fingers, whatever they can do. But one of the most exciting concerts I ever saw was my friend Brad Puckett uh, back in high school. And his drummer was really quite good. But I cannot tell you how many sticks he went through because he was playing and one would just go flying, sometimes into the audience, sometimes off to the side. And I think his trick was not missing a beat. He would fling these sticks, and he had just this, this pack of sticks behind him, and he would just grab one in rhythm. And I went up and asked about it, and he was gathering up all of his sticks after the concert. And it turns out he had planned all of it. He worked on the choreography because it was so exciting for an audience to see a drumstick fly I don't know why. I really don't, but it was just exciting. Do you do any theatrics like that? Um, I, I do a couple little stick flips kind of thing. I haven't really mastered the whole twirl thing very well. I mean, I can do it a little, but not enough to, to be really impressive. Not that I can sit there and twirl them and then crash on the cymbals or anything. <laughs> um, uh, but I do a little flips here and there, and uh, and occasionally I do entirely by accident no no choreography required lose a stick <laughs> uh, it, it goes flying somewhere and uh, and I also have a little bag of sticks that I reach down and hopefully grab one and miss as few beats as I possibly can while I'm doing that right um uh, uh, but it's. It, I would love to learn some of the more theatrical stuff I just uh, uh, you know I watch a lot of the, the younger drummers do that kind of thing and I'm like I remember when I had that kind of flexibility. <laughs> I don't even think I remember. It's, uh, it, it's this myth of my life that I had flexibility once. Uh, now, where do you perform? You have this band. You got together. Where do you perform? Uh, we have uh, become one of the bands that uh, they we get a semi-regular rotation over at Wingnuts. Okay. Uh, over in the Outlet Mall. Uh, we play there. Our next gig there is actually on December 7th. So if anybody listening wants to come out and listen, we'll be playing from 6 until 9-ish, somewhere in that vicinity. Um, we uh, played the George Fest, uh, uh, the first Friday thing. We played that uh, back in early September. Mm -hmm. uh, that was fun. And we're actually contemplating right now maybe getting involved with the Battle of the Bands for the Canab Balloon Festival in February. Oh, you're going so, for the big time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big big prize there. I don't. Uh, I, I, it'd be certain. It'd be it'd be just be fun to go play. Right. at the whole thing. Well, uh, let me ask you. Do, do you find? I'm I'm talking age here because we're two middle aged guys. There's no secret about that. Do you find, is this a younger person's game or are, are a lot of the uh, bands, you know, just people who are looking for outlets who want to have fun? Are we in the age bracket of the hip rock folks? Um, defining hip as as what the kids these days are into, definitely not. Uh, not that uh, your hip's about to break. Either. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 I've seen enough uh, uh, garage-ish bands around here that I've seen a huge age range involved. I've seen everything from uh, what I have to assume are teenagers or kids in their early 20s uh, all the way up to people in you know our age range and even a little more. Uh, I've seen some of the bands around here. That it, it, I think it's just an outlet that anybody who has a musical bent uh, and uh, the means to do it can get involved with. Gotcha. And how expensive is it? You said you have a pretty nice set. Um, is this something that you've got to have money for the equipment, or is there uh, another outlet to get a drum set? Or um, uh, Drum sets, I mean, they really range. I mean, you can get a very basic beginner's level set for a few hundred dollars, um, toss in a few symbols for maybe a few more hundred dollars. Uh, you can definitely do it for under a thousand easily. Um, uh, my kit is sort of at the mid range, I think, or, or low end of the mid range, uh, for that. Uh, and the kit itself was about a thousand and my symbols were another, I don't even remember how much, 1100, 1200, something like that. Um, and I've slowly built a few other additional things into the kit, you know, a cowbell and that kind of thing slowly over time. More cowbell. So, more cowbell. Always need more cowbell. Yes. Um, uh, and we do have some songs I've specifically picked so I can play the cowbell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Christopher Walken comes on the set. Uh, okay. But uh, but there there are some drum sets. I mean, you know, my, my sort of ideal dream drum set made by um, uh, one of the top 
drum manufacturers. Uh, I mean, they make sets that go for eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a piece. Uh, they sound exquisite. They sound amazing. Um, uh, and I would love to have the money for those kinds of things. But but you know, the kit I've got sounds really, really good. I'm not mm-hmm. at all disappointed with it in any way. Um, uh, it just really depends. It's like pianos. I mean, you can start out with uh, you know a, a very small, simple piano, and you can go all the way up to a you know a giant grand piano for however many thousands of tens of thousands of dollars that costs. Uh, I think no matter what your instrument, I think there's really a range of, of uh, affordable options all the way up to professional level options. Right. Well, and if you have access to uh, an institution of higher learning, perhaps, uh, and this is for everyone out there, I know the price tag can sometimes make people think, well, I can't really get into that. If you want to be a painter, well, I can't afford the paints or the canvases. Mm-hmm. And that's a realistic uh, thing, uh, frankly. If you, if you want to do some of these art forms, there is sometimes a financial stake that has to be made. But one of the things that I found is being involved with a high school or being involved with a local university um, or, you know, any group like that, sometimes uh, they'll allow sponsored groups to come on in. And sponsored is the key. They're not going to allow people to just come in and use equipment and such. But there are a lot of community courses that are available that are certainly not that expensive. Um, there are also, if you know somebody uh, that, that works there or something and you're interested, there's nothing wrong with expressing interest and seeing if maybe you can use some equipment or such or rent some equipment for uh, a lesser price than actually purchasing. I've also seen, and this is from my days in Seattle, a lot of buskers who don't necessarily have those huge drum sets, but it's pretty amazing what they can do with what they've pulled together. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to use paint cans and uh, plastic dubs and such, but you know what? If you want to go out there and you want to be a percussionist and make rhythm and make music, make some rhythm and make some music. And uh, when you get a proper instrument, perhaps that may be down the road, but why not? Yeah. There, there, uh, for percussion in particular, there's a, a, a instrument which uh, came out of um, the, uh, the Latino community back in the 60s called a cajon, uh, which is basically this little rectangular box uh, that's hollow. And then on one side, it's got a little like a snare drum um, chain going down through the, the middle of it. Uh, and you, ba- you just sit on it and you just reach down and you, you can pat it in different places to get snare noises or bass noises or tom kind of noises. And, uh, and some people perform it just using that and maybe one little cymbal. Uh, and and uh, you can get much more elaborate than that with it, but it's a really simple instrument, and you can do that for under two hundred dollars. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, and you know, say you want to be a writer, you find a pencil and put put it down on paper and such. So many opportunities to do this. Now, when I bring up the buskers of Seattle, I want to point something out. We talk about opportunities to participate in the arts and such. Some of my favorite buskers in Seattle were the kids. The ones, they were 10, 11, 12, you know, sometimes a little older than that, but they were out there. And I'm going to be honest, a lot of them were, by standards of art, kind of terrible. Uh, there was this group of uh, three boys. They had to be, you know, 11, 12 or what have you. And they had a tambourine. And they were doing a version of La Bamba that I hope I never, ever hear again. <laughs> uh, sometimes I wake up screaming in the middle of the night, having been reminded of this. But the thing that was amazing about it was the joy on their faces as they were doing this. And, you know, occasionally somebody would flip them a quarter and you could see the dreams of, you know, international stardom appear in their eyes as they got that quarter. But it was the joy of doing it. There was also a, a, a gentleman, and I don't know, I didn't know this guy, so I'm using gentleman, uh, you know, loosely. But he had one of those old, like, uh, Sony keyboards, but the ones that were mm-hmm. only like an octave and a half, and they sounded like a keyboard, you know, a synthesizer from the 1912 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> And the poor guy was tone deaf, but he loved to be out there. I I did a lot of work at uh, Seattle Children's Theater in Seattle Center next to the Space Needle. And he would always set up right there. And I think he was trying to inspire the kids who came to Seattle Children's Theater. And the problem with him being tone deaf was it didn't matter so much for some of the numbers, but he would always do doe a deer. From Sound of Music. So instead of doe, a deer, a female, it was doe, a deer, a female, deer, ray, a drop of golden sun, which I guess could be, I don't know, head banging techno, but uh, no, he was was singing the song just on one pitch there. Okay. But these people got out there, and again, the joy on their faces. Isn't that what art is supposed to be? 
that's exactly what it's supposed to do. It's, it's supposed to make people happy. And there's nothing I love more when we perform than watching people get up and dance to the song or or clap along or or uh, you know make just, even when they're just paying pure attention, just listening to the music and not talking to the person next to them and not on their phone. They're they're just really engaged. I love that. That's that that's what feeds energy into the to the group. Well, I know there are a lot of concerts at Even Stevens mm-hmm. uh, on St. George Boulevard. I've been to a few there. We've had a guest on the show, Dr. Glenn Webb, who actually has his own show on jazz here on 100.3. And I've watched him play, and it's just an ensemble. And what's great is they don't get in your face by any means. They just start playing their jazz. And what's cool is you can see people just start listening and get drawn in by this music. It's a real special experience. I also want to do a shout out to actually a current student of mine, uh, a young man called Josh called. His name is, <laughs> we call him, uh, his name is Josh France. And, uh, you know, his family does quite a bit. His mom uh, dances uh, quite regularly all around and she teaches dance and she participates in local theater. And uh, his brother is quite talented as well, as well as uh, all of his siblings. They sing well and such. And he just decided to put together an evening of Irish music. And I was talking to his dad last night, um, and his dad said, yeah, they were all a little shocked when he just said, I think I'm going to do an Irish concert. Well, okay, you can get your friends together. You can be, you know, three boys standing in Seattle Center singing La Bamba badly. (laughs) Or you can actually put together an event, a theatrical concert event of Irish songs simply because you like them. And uh, my wife and I, Christine and I, we went to this concert last night. And I'll tell you, I don't know if it was the Irish music. I don't know if it was because everybody was having such a good time or the attitude of the performers. But I felt like I went to a party in some Irishman's living room and just left so happy after hearing all of these songs that he just wanted to do and put together a concert. I I was just stunned at the the gumption and fortitude it must have taken to put that together. And it, it was just great. I, I saw that concert advertised, and if I if I hadn't had practice last night, I would have I would have loved to have gone. It's, so you practiced with your band last no, night? No, we had uh, improv practice last night. Another thing that you do <laughs> improv. You, you're part of is uh, what is the name of the organization uh, around Improv here? Dixie. Improv Dixie, and it's run by Chewy Lockhart, mm-hmm. uh, who we've had on the show before as well. Uh, talk to me. How'd you get into comedy? Uh, it, it's. Uh, I had been uh, I really want to get into doing voiceover. I'd been doing a lot of reading and research and listening to podcasts and and a, uh, so many people in the voiceover business were saying get into improv it really helps very much with the with doing voiceover. And I was like, "Okay." So then I flipped one day through the community ed uh catalog that uh that Dixie sends out and I saw there was a an improv class, Improv 101, and it was like, "Okay, I guess I will take that and see what that's all about." And uh I've just been in love with it ever since. Um I know I've always been a big fan of uh, like whose line is it anyway and uh, that kind of thing and and I was always in the back of my mind of like could I pull that off could I actually do something like that so now I'm finding out yeah I actually can do that well there I want to say as teachers uh, I don't know about you but I find improv very helpful in front of the classroom uh, the problem is I don't know if they're laughing at me laughing with me laughing because they want me to think that they're enjoying my lecture. Uh, <laughs> I very often um, will improv or or make other jokes to them, and they will just sit there and stare at me, or they'll just sit and write everything on your paper. I'm like, don't write that down. That was improv. That was a joke. And and sometimes I have to tell them, I say, okay, see, this is the interactive part of the class where you laugh at my jokes, inflate my ego, and make me want to grade your papers better. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, one of my favorite exercises, we're we're talking about the art of teaching now, I guess. One of my favorite exercises is when I'm teaching something like theater history or something a little more academic uh, as opposed to a practical application class, uh, is to stand up there and give a lecture full of wrong facts. (laughs) <laughs> but let them know that I'm giving a lecture, and it's up to them to stop me and correct me. I love that exercise. But I do have to tell you, one of the downsides is when nobody seems to catch on to the thing I'm saying wrong, and I have to stop the exercise and say, okay, now that was a lie. That was wrong. Uh, now we're totally off topic now. Back to, again, Jerry Harris, Renaissance man, doing comedy, doing uh, – I, I hope I'm not – making it diminutive by saying a garage band. No, but. I don't think so at all. It, it, uh, uh, I would certainly classify it that way, and, and I don't think there's anything bad about that. Oh, so you mentioned that you had a performance coming up in the next uh, little bit. Where is that going to be? Uh, that'll be at, at Wingnuts over in the outlet mall. Um, I'm not sure if we're playing inside or on their little porch. Um, 
uh, we usually play on the porch, but I don't know since it's going to be really cold that day. I don't know where we're actually going to be, but somewhere in there we will be playing. Um, uh, and, and to keep the volume down for the drums, if we are inside, <laughs> I have a I have a little electronic drum kit that I play, right? Uh, where I can control the volume much better than I can with the with the acoustic kit. Mm-hmm. So, oh, sorry, you mentioned that the drummer that was here before you in Black Sabbatical was a member of several bands. How many bands do you know of around here? Oh wow. Um, Gosh, uh, I, I can easily right off the my uh, top of my head think of you know the five or six, and I'm I know there's more that I've seen um, you know listings for, for that they're going to play at such and such a place, um, you know over at the firehouse or something like that. Um, uh, I haven't seen all of them, but I've seen a good number of them, and uh, there's there's some real skill here in this area. Uh, there's some real talent and and people who are clearly loving what they do. Well, that's, again, one of the, the reasons for this show is hopefully we get people excited about possibilities around here and maybe dis- well, maybe some secrets need to stay secrets. But <laughs> these, uh, these artistic secrets that people have, uh, the fact that they do something and they enjoy doing it, and it's infectious. Uh, even having you in the studio here talking about Black Sabbatical, I kind of want to go see what's going on with this. I want to. I want to come hear you guys. Um, we have people here who are very passionate about classical musing. Mu- musing. <laughs> That's another thing right there. <laughs> but classical music, where they want you to come to their concerts and they get passionate about it. Painters, writers, sculptors. Uh, it, we've had tons of different people in here, and they're all passionate. And it is incredibly infectious. This is my invitation over the air to everyone to not only keep your ear to the ground about what your neighbors uh, may be doing artistically and some offering that they may have, but also to encourage you, if you ever wanted to play the drums, go out there and start banging on something artistically. If you want to write, pick up a pencil, start writing on paper, or, you know, that's from my century apparently or you know sit down at a computer and start writing some poetry or some uh an essay or a story anything that you want i do hope that everybody who listens to on the arts understands that here in southern utah we've got a lot of offering and jerry harris thank you for joining us here in the studio today it's been my pleasure thanks for having me no problem And we do hope that you'll join us next Tuesday for On the Arts, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. And we hope that until you hear from us again, you keep your focus on the arts. You've been listening to On the Arts with Michael and Christina Harding. Search Facebook, YouTube, Podbean, Spotify for Radio St. George to view video and podcasts of this show or go to RadioStGeorge.com. Join us Tuesdays and Thursdays at 4 for On the Arts on Radio St. George 100.3.